Every day, the graduate student writers of astrobytes.org publish summaries of recent developments in astronomy. Then we sit down with recent astrobytes of our choosing and bring them together, sometimes in ways you wouldn't expect. We call it Astro Soundbites. I'm Kirsten Boley. I'm a PhD candidate at The Ohio State University, where I study the impact of elemental abundances on planet formation and evolution. I'm Will Saunders. I'm a PhD candidate at Boston University, where I study the upper atmospheres of Uranus and Neptune. And I'm Sabrina Berger. I'm a PhD student at the University of Melbourne, where I study the high redshift universe, both theoretically and observationally, through quasars. You're listening to episode 76, Beyond, Black and Astro 2023. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, Black and Astro and the Black community. For those of you who don't know, I'm Black slash biracial, and I'm actually going to be the first ever Black woman to graduate with a PhD in astronomy at The Ohio State University. Woo! <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's kind of wild. <gasps> amazing. You're a trailblazer. I don't know about that, but this brings me to a question that I have for both of you. Given what I just told you, how many people do you think in the US that are black women have PhDs in astronomy? Specifically astronomy, not physics. Specifically astronomy. But we okay. could go down the physics rabbit hole if you want to take a stab at that one too. <laughs> Let's not make this harder than it is. <laughs> I think I read this in one of the articles, but it might have been an older article that I read leading up to recording this. Okay. I have not read it, but I do recall someone saying the first was a few years ago. So I'm going to go with three. Really? Okay. And then, Sabrina, what were you going to say? I think it's it's 23 plus, I think. Because the article I read was like 23, but it was an older article. So assuming there are a couple more now. Yeah. So it actually is around 23. It's closer to probably about 30 at this point. But it's still pretty low. And you're right, Will. The first person to have their PhD as a black woman in astronomy was Barbara Ann Williams, and she was a radio astronomer, and that was in 1981, so... Okay, longer ago than I had thought, actually. Still super late. Yeah, super late. Of course. But anyway, Juneteenth is coming up, and for those of you in other parts of the world, Juneteenth is a holiday to celebrate the enslaved black people being freed in 1865, which was over two years after the actual law was passed to free slaves in 1863. So as the name implies, it's on June 19th. It's just a smash of those two words. And as you can imagine, this is an extremely important holiday for the black community. I wanted to add that it's only shockingly recently that the U.S. observes this holiday. I think Congress passed in 2020 or 2021 to make this a federal holiday. And it was never a day that my parents had off of work growing up or I had off of school. 
I didn't even know about it until a few years ago. Same. So while it's been very important in the black community for a long time, the whole country has not observed it until recently. It's pretty messed up that it was just a couple years ago. Yeah. When I was looking it up, I was surprised. In some ways, I wasn't surprised with everything that happened in 2020. But at the same time, I'm also a bit surprised because I knew about it beforehand. And I was like, oh, other people don't know about this. So this topic brings me to the title of our episode and the organization that we're going to be talking about, Black and Astro, which is an organization that hosts Black and Space Week, which is this week, so starting Sunday, June 18th. But Black and Astro as an organization does a lot more for the Black community as well. And speaking of them, I was able to interview the leadership of Black and Astro. I won't spoil anything from the interview, so go ahead and take a listen. I am with Black and Astro, and we've got a huge group of people here. So I'd like to start off with everyone introducing themselves. And so if you could please tell everyone your name, your research area, your pronouns, and your position. My name is Ashley Walker. My pronouns are she, they. I am a second year doctoral student at Howard University in the graduate program of atmospheric sciences and a NASA graduate research assistant at uh, JPL where I study both Venus and ice giant atmospheres. And I am the president and founder of Black and Astro. Hey everyone, my name is Robert Washington. I'm the PR chair, public relations chair for Black and Astro. Pronouns are he, him, and I'm a second year PhD student at Howard University and a graduate researcher through Goddard Space Flight Center. And my field of study is characterization of terrestrial exoplanets. Hi, everyone. So my name is Caprice Phillips. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a, going to be a fifth-year PhD candidate at The Ohio State University. I study substellar atmospheres like brown dwarfs and directly image exoplanets to understand their formation pathways and environments, and I'm the vice president of Black and Astro. Hey, what's up? I'm Dakota Tyler. I'm a third-year PhD student at UCLA, pronouns he, him. And I study exoplanets, specifically the evolution of exoplanets that orbit closely to their host stars. For Black and Astro, I am the co-events coordinator with Keyshawn. Hello, I am Keyshawn Ivory. I am a third year PhD candidate at Vanderbilt University. Pronouns are he, they. Like Dakota said, I'm events co-chair of Black and Astro, and I work on galaxy orbital dynamics, and black hole merger timescales. My name is Naya Butler-Craig. I am the aerospace chair for Black and Astro. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a fourth-year PhD student at the Georgia Institute of Technology, studying aerospace engineering, and my focus is in electric propulsion, more specifically optimizing them, learning more about them, utilizing optical and laser diagnostics. My name is Cheyenne Polius. I'm originally from St. Lucia, but did my master's degree in the UK in astrophysics. And my master's research 
was in stellar and planetary evolution. So trying to figure out how we got some pretty special elements in our solar system while it was forming. I am currently the social media director for Black and Astro. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm also working now as a data analyst in finance technology. It sounds like a ton of exoplanet people. I'm here for that. I feel like (laughs) I'm in the right place. I guess to start us all off, just so people can familiarize themselves with what Black and Astro is, can one of you guys give me a brief description of what Black and Astro is and what is the mission behind it? I'll go ahead and uh, give a warm intro to the org. Black and Astro is purpose is really to create a space for Black people who are in the field of astronomy, whether it's just being a safe space or a space to really put our names out there and really get us on board with equal opportunities in the field, whether it's research or becoming a student, highlighting publications, accomplishments, and things of that nature. We also want to serve to give Black people in astronomy the opportunity to promote their research and get experiences that they might not initially get the chance to pursue, such as like attending conferences or presenting posters or giving talks, but also really show that, you know, this is also a creative space. So, you know, space isn't only data and papers, but it's, you know, also artwork, technology, graphic design. It's really limitless in that facet. And we really just want to push that message out and serve as a pillar of inspiration for other Black people who are pursuing the career or are even well-established in the field. I also want to add that Black and Astro, in addition to what Rob said, we're making this space for people, whether they're in the field or they're trying to get into the field. We also provide resources to make sure that Black people know that are interested in space, whether you're in astronomy or aerospace engineering, whether you are in space law, such as our space law chair, AJ, who could not be here today. But we also want to make sure that you know that we care about you. We care about Black people as a whole. I know like a lot of Black people love space in general, just being fascinated by it. We also want to make sure that they know that we care about them as well. And so we also provide spaces for those people who are enthusiasts, but they don't have a specific direction, as Rob said. And we want to make sure that they know, hey, come over here, we're safe, and it's going to be okay. And that we love you because we love Black people. I love that. I think that you guys give off the vibes of like, I don't know, my first time going to NSBP in person, I was telling Caprice, I was like, oh my gosh, these people are so nice. It feels like I'm going home to go visit my family, and but we're doing science. And I think that that's amazing. And coming into academia, I personally had never seen any Black people. I think Caprice was the first person to introduce me to other Black people in astronomy. And so what were your experiences like when you decided that you wanted to pursue science? Were you inspired by just discoveries or what were your experiences? To my knowledge, I didn't have a lot of role models like a black role models in astronomy when I knew that I wanted to study it. It was like I tell the story every time, but it was actually my mom that saw that I was interested in like space because I kept staring at the moon as we went to like trips to my grandparents' house and she got me my first little baby telescope and everything where you could really just see birds and stuff and not really into space, but I would pretend nonetheless. But I didn't meet 
another black person in astronomy too. I was at my first, I was in graduate school and that was Sinclair Manning. She was the one that told me about um, NSPP and, and then I met Ashley and then getting on to like Twitter spaces and everything. And I was like, there's a, a whole bunch of us like out here. And Ashley, you know, introduced me to a bunch of folks and everything. It was a very like isolating experience because I didn't know a lot of people until I got into graduate school and I'm still finding people like right now which I think is pretty cool so that's just my little kind of tip in there I don't want to take up too much space um <laughs> but <laughs> but um my story is traditionally different because I'm a chemist and it's naturally so like I'm coming from a space where chemists aren't mm, now we're being celebrated, right, with JWST and all these other missions, right? But pre-JWST and 2020, we were just, like, shunned. So I came in as a chemist, as a Black chemist. I went to a predominantly Black institution. I did see people that look like me. However, I was one of very few Black women that were doing astronomy within my program. And so as Capri said, me and Caprice, we met, we linked, it was magic, you know, that's my sis. In addition to that, like I also met Keyshawn, right, within this time frame. I met Keyshawn, Keyshawn is my bestie. And so like I met Keyshawn during an internship at Harvard. So I met all these beautiful black people that that told me that this is the thing that they want to do. And seeing their stories, seeing, hearing, like, what we all had in common, and not just Black people, we also talked to a few brown people as well within the community. I wanted to make sure that, like, I can be there and be a voice of support and a voice of reason. And so, like, that continued to help my journey going forward. And so that's the little bit that I want to add. But I really would want Rob to share his story. Throwing Rob under the bus. (laughs) So I... I was into space and astronomy since 10th grade pretty like relatively early on and since then it's always been exoplanets but actually the people in this podcast now are the first black people who I met who were in astronomy I'm trying to remember exactly how but I know it, it was a twitter space and um Ashley followed me and I was like oh like this is cool and then like a week later I was brought into black and astro and it was just like a whole whirlwind because like Black Space Week last year was coming up and I was just looking around trying to like figure out like, okay, so what is like my space here? Am I just like participating? Do they want something from me and stuff like that? But it was, it was really inspirational and just like made me really happy that I finally was able to join like a group of like other black people who had similar interests and passion that I had. So, yeah. So what do you guys think are some of the more challenging aspects of being Black in, well, astronomy, hence the name, but what are some of the more challenging aspects of navigating this space as a Black person? So one thing that occurred to me again pretty recently, because I spent like a week and a half at home, I went back to Dallas for my brother's graduation. And that was fun. Hung out with family. And then I came back. We do like a graduate student lunch every Thursday where like during the year, a colloquium speaker would come and have lunch with us. But during the summer, it tends to be just us kind of hanging out. And so I went to grad student lunch and I was really quiet and I was trying to like process why I was being so quiet. Like 
how come I'm not really talking? And I realized it's because I just wasn't in like talking to white people mode. I just wasn't there because I'd been with my family for a week and a half and talking to nothing but my family and and like other black people. And to come back and just be in this room, like full to the brim of like nothing but white folks. I was like, this is a lot. And I only realized like how much it is when I don't do it for a while. And so that's something that I think is particularly challenging. And probably one of the reasons why I work from home so often is because at home, like I live by myself. So that means there's 100% black occupancy at my house. And that, that ratio doesn't exist when I go to the department. So that's something that's difficult. It's like the equivalent of being on all the time. As a mixed person, I feel like I can relate Oddly enough, I feel like going home to my family is, I feel like no one's judging me or like I need to be X or Y. But when you're in that professional setting, people expect you to behave as like whatever version of yourself that you have to put forward. Yeah, I would say in my experience, so I I will clarify again, I'm not an astronomer or an astrophysicist, but I work in aerospace, but I did have the opportunity in 2019, I was working at a national lab and I got the opportunity to work in computational astrophysics. So I, you know, I, I got a little bit of experience in y'all's Bill's house <laughs> and it was really fun. But I remember my first day, literally my first day, I was having a conversation with a senior computational astrophysicist who I believe was from Germany. And we got into just regular kind of work talk and it somehow took a sharp left turn and he made a declaration that like as a black girl, and I, I say girl specifically as a black girl, that I have better job prospects than he will as a white man. And he said that blatantly. <laughs> First day, I'm an aerospace engineer. I was just, you know, trying to do something cool for the summer, do something different. And that was my right out the gate first experience. Luckily, I had my incredible, incredible mentor there who completely shut that down, took care of it. I was in no way needing to stand up for myself, like she just handled it. And I really appreciated that because I was I was already out of my element since this is not my field. And then two, it was like my first day. I'm a student. Like I had no idea how to handle that. So as an ally, like she really stepped up and like if you are ever looking for advice about how to be an ally, like she's a perfect example of that because I didn't have to say a word. She did it for me. But as a black woman and as black people, we're often always played with the like we lose our credibility just because we're black because people believe in these myths of affirmative action and that we're there to fill diversity quotas and that's something that in the aerospace and astronomy field alike I've experienced and I think it's really frustrating and of course it's something that you can internalize too where you're like well maybe I am not that great and maybe they do just want because I'm a black woman and it is very hard to navigate but what I've decided and I hope this helps somebody else who feels that way is that regardless if, if I'm their token hire, I know I'm going to show out regardless and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to put my best foot forward and I'm going to make use of the opportunity. And so that's that's my two cents. I feel like on some level when I was applying to grad school, I thought that I only got in because I was a minority and that basically the imposter syndrome was super strong. And so I'm sure that that's something that a lot of us feel. I don't know if anyone else has felt that way, but I certainly have. And 100%. I don't think that it's valid. You are there. Like everyone gets in because we're good enough. Also, I have not met a black person in astronomy and aerospace that has not shown out 
I feel like everyone is going above and beyond when you start to compare what some other, like your average X ethnicity in versus average black person in. It's like black people, at least in my view, are working harder to stay average with the other people when really it's putting in more effort than, you know, maybe our not black counterparts. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, I love it. I just want to take it one step further and just say, like, we have no choice. Like, it was never a choice for us. And and I think that's the kicker there. I agree 100%. Ashley, you have something to say? I know you're clapping over there. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I do want to say, I agree with Wanaya. We don't have a choice but to be excellent, but to be, you know, headstrong, but to be, you know, great, right? But mm-hmm. I also, mm-hmm. while we're in these spaces, I also want to pay homage to those that left this year, right? I work with African-American women in physics, and I kind of help them keep the statistics of how many Black women graduate. And so we do have quite a bit that left this year, that left their institutions. And so I want to pay homage to them. I want to give them applause for saying, no, I'm not taking this and I'm leaving and this is it for me. And so whether they're in astronomy, physics, aerospace, wherever they are, I do want to applaud them for that. And so, and give them that grace because Black people deserve grace, something that we don't get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in saying that enough is enough and I deserve more. And, you know, you're not paying me enough for this headache. (laughs) So yeah, 100%. What would you like to see in this next generation of astronomy and astro? Like, how do you see Black people in the following generations moving forward? Do you see the environment changing for the better? Do you see, you know, different issues that might arise? Or do you think it's going to stay the same for a while? I think it's it might take a while for things to get exactly where we want it, where it comes to a point where your race or your ethnicity or isn't even a question anymore, where it's just normal to see a healthy balance of people in a certain space. I think that's going to take a while because it's a vicious cycle of if you don't see representation, then people aren't inspired. And if they don't apply, then you don't get the representation in. So it's going to take a while for that to trickle down into a place where it's like we can say an environment is truly diverse and truly inclusive. And this is not something where we have to have diversity quotas and push for it anymore. But right now, in like there are things that I see are already changing for the better, like just by like Black and Astro even existing, because similar to what Rob was saying, these are the first Black people I met in astronomy, and they're like across the Atlantic from me, and I still felt like, wow, I have this community of people who I can talk about hair with and also talk about space with. Like, I didn't have that before. I had Black friends who were in different fields, and I had white people and other people, other races who were in astronomy, and I never had both of them together. And I think if I had that throughout my university journey, I would have just felt so much more supported and just so much like less isolated. So even just connecting with them virtually made a huge difference for me. So I can see that already making things better for people who are coming into the field or who are already in the field because you just feel like I'm not alone. And that can make a huge, huge, huge difference to just just getting through your degree, just getting to graduation day because 
you feel like okay there are people out there just like me struggling just like me having those same struggles while understanding my struggles so I think just connecting other black people in the field with a network of people who get it you just sometimes you just need somebody who gets it because as much as you explain the struggles that we go through as much as you like there's so much about like allyship and trying to do better as somebody who's not black just being black is an experience you just will not understand unless you are like there's some things people just will never get I'm not saying that they can't support us without that experience but it's just always helpful to have that around you so I think while it might take a good few generations to get to the point where places actually look diverse and are inclusive, I think there are things that are already happening right now that's making it better for the generations coming up. Yeah, I definitely agree with Cheyenne. Obviously, it's something that will take a while. That's It's not something that can be corrected quickly. But the existence of this group is evidence that like change is happening. And I think... What's even more important than just sort of a baseline visual representation of of like seeing other black astronomers is seeing more people that you actually relate to, right? We're starting at such a low level that we're just saying like, is there any black people at all? And of course, we all know that it's not that black people aren't a monolith. It's not like I'm instantly seeing myself in somebody else just because they're black but like we have a awesome diversity of backgrounds just in our group and you know getting to portray ourselves and be authentic and show you know the rest of the world all the different types of personalities all the different types of interests the different types of hobbies that we have i think is taking sort of the next step in making space relatable making it accessible so i think that there's a lot of change that is happening right now you know i couldn't guess how long it would take for things to be perfect where we don't need to have these conversations anymore but i feel very confident and optimistic about where we're heading and the work that we're doing i just wanted to quickly piggyback off of that and just highlight the actual word of intersectionality And like that being one, a priority and two, just giving black people the space to exist in all their identities and however different ways that, you know, that they identify and not just exist that way, but also be fairly accommodated. You know, so whether you're black and disabled, black and queer, that the systems that we are trying to put in place as an organization right now in the future, that you don't have to be in the dark about the disability accommodations at your school or at your job or that. You know, we just want to make sure that Black people are fully represented to be able to show up as completely themselves. That's my goal. And I know that that's has always been our founder's goal because she's always been honest and authentic about it and has handpicked people to be in this organization that represent various intersectionality. I absolutely love that. It seems like one of those things that people say all the time. And I don't know if people take it to heart as often as it's said, but if you end up trying to uplift all different types of people, you end up helping all different types of people because we're not just one thing, you know? And so we need support in other areas or we need to be able to be our authentic self in whatever way that looks like. But yeah, so in terms of the future of Black and Astro, what's the vision? 
Okay, Ashley, you're going to have to answer this one. <laughs> you know, I always be trying to, I'm trying to pass it off to my babies, right? But as they know, they're my babies. They're my siblings. I always tell them, you're my siblings, blah, 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 right? And they call me out when I'm wrong. They call me out, you know, if I'm doing something that they feel like is X, Y, and Z, which is why I love them so much. We're family, right? And so the vision of Black and Astro, um, at some point, I will pass it off. That's the goal. It may be in the near future. Who knows? But what we want to see with Black and Astro is we want to make sure that people, you know, Black people need money. Okay, that's the number one thing. And I keep telling people this and people will be looking at me like, what the hell? But Black people need money. Okay. And so one thing that I do notice, one thing that our other vice president, Dr. Ron Gamble, also notices and Caprice and everybody else in the e-board has, we all talked about is funding. We don't want, we want to make sure that everybody's funded, that people can actually pursue these degrees. We want people, we want to inspire people, we want people to move forward, but we can't do anything without actually having financial resources. So we want to provide that for people in the future. We also want to provide things for students that may be struggling because coming up as an undergrad, it was a really big struggle. I spent 12 years as an undergrad. I'm not ashamed to say that, right? This is the first time I actually said it publicly. So Listen, uh, you got through it. I spent way too much time as an undergrad. I was working a full-time job and hello. trying to, trying to get through. So right. there is no shame. It's a thing, right? It's a thing. We don't talk about the non-traditional <laughs> undergrads that go on and off that quit because of emotional distress or whatever else they're going through, right? Or taking care of a loved one and so on and so forth, right? My father died during undergrad, right? Not just me, but we all want to make sure that people can care for their loved ones and whoever else, whether they're undergrads at a junior college, undergrads at a university, whether they're in grad school, whether they are senior faculty members, hell, we never talk about the funding that, um, the lack of funding that emeritus people get as well, that still want to do research and take on students. So these are things that, you know, we have looked at, that we have talked about. We also plan on collaborating with other different Black and X groups. I'm a part of the Black and X movement. There are so many different things and limitless opportunities that we are definitely thinking about. We have one community member that was working with people that are incarcerated and making sure that they are well-versed within this field so that they can move forward and how we can push them into the education system and making sure that they are okay. Because a lot of times that we have people that look like us that are incarcerated and they should not be there at all. And so these are certain things that we are looking at. We're also looking into mental health facilities and things of that nature, making sure that people have access to that. Because sometimes we oftentimes go into these spaces that are extremely harmful without actually getting the adequate resources that we need. So we also are looking into that as well. So these are just, uh, again, it's limitless of what we want to do and what we see for our vision. And if anybody wants to chime in, you're more than welcome to. What about you, Vice President? Totally echoing what, what Ashley has said, like, I think it'd be really cool if, like, we can continue providing, like, as she said, like, financial support to folks. Like, we've already been doing, like, a little bit of that with our travel grants that we have. And I'm a personal fan of people being compensated for their time and expertise. So making sure that people that we work with, like, Black people in this field, like, 
compensated, whether they're a judge for something, a panelist um, for us, or, or just being able to, to showcase their like research and getting a nice little bag <laughs> for it. You know, I'm, I'm all here for that support because me, like when I was an undergrad, if I had won a competition and like won some money or something, like that was food, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that was like food or something or something to help out my family or or, or things like that, because you never know what people are going through. Or if you just want to go buy an Xbox, like, that's on you. Like, you know, whatever you want to do with, with with the stuff. But having that as an, an option and as a resource and just being, like, visible. They're at an REU now at the Simons NSVP, but they had emailed me that they had never seen, like, another black woman in, like, astronomy before. So just, like, continue to being, like, a presence. And, yeah, like Nia said, and not just recognized for the DEI, but, like, we're scientists and, and researchers or space law and like policy folks and, and different stuff. Like we encompass so many things besides like DEI that I think is so important to recognize and, and give people their, their flowers for. So. And I'll quickly say like piggybacking off of Caprice and Naya, like definitely we want to be recognized as not just a EDIA type of grassroots organization, which we have been recognized as. And so I really want people to know that this is one of the first Black astronomy organizations here in the U.S. We don't really have one here. The fact that we're doing this, and let me back back and not just say just in astronomy in general, but we have aerospace, space law, et cetera, et cetera, the, over, the whole entire overlapping thing, right? There are smaller groups that do these type, this type of work. However, this is one of the premier groups which we did not expect this, but it happened, right? It happened in our life and we're here. And so, like I said in the beginning, we love Black people. We love our family. We love our people. And we just don't love Black people here in the U.S. Diane is currently in the U.K. Our former organizer, Dr. Tana Joseph, who is a South African astronomer. So we love Black people across the pond, across the globe. So we want to make sure that everybody is safe and we don't want to seem like we're just an EDIA group. Yeah, 100%. Whenever I was first introduced to Black and Astro, I feel like it opened up a whole new view of astronomy. Like, I don't know, isn't that one of the things that you guys say, like, we're out here? That that's super amazing. And I think Black and Astro is just a great organization in general. But before we wrap up, I have to get you guys to just give some sneak peeks about Black Space Week. So what do we have on the schedule? What's going on? Tell us about it. Oh, oh boy. We have so many things. I'm so excited. Sorry. We have so many things on the schedule, like just a sneak peek, like we got stuff for instrumentation, like black people instrumentation, black people doing citizen science, cultural astronomy, like we got undergraduate graduate student research showcase like y'all get to come hang out with us like come co-work with us. like we got you said no spoilers but i'm telling everything but like it's so it's so like i'm so like excited for like a lot of the cool things that we got money like period so like we got the arts like you know we got all kinds of all kinds of things so like y'all better come through or something like that because I don't want to be us just sitting here looking at each other like we want to see y'all out here and participating in these things. So, and I'll just add that we are in person for the first time in three years. What? That's all we can add. That's all we can say. (laughs) Okay, that's a cliffhanger. That is a cliffhanger. Yeah, I was just going to say I really would recommend people definitely show up for the sort of meet the team meet and greet thing on Sunday, which kind of opens up the week because that's 
just a fun time to kind of like meet us, see what the week is going to hold, what events like catch your eye, pique your interest and like play some games and just like have a good time. So I definitely think people should come out to that one because it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the week. I think my favorite thing about Black Space Week is it encompasses everything we've said on this podcast today. Like it's for, it's not just people who are scientists. It's like everything, like we have art, we have like citizen science. It's not just about the research, but at the same time, it is showcasing the fact that we're not just here to fill in diversity quotas. Like we do good research and we do good work. It's just really one week, just jam packed with everything that Black in Astro stands for. So no matter who you are, I think there'll be a part of Black Space Week that you can enjoy. So that's my favorite thing about it. Awesome. I am so excited for it. And just to remind everyone listening, Black in Space Week is going to be the week of the 18th or the week of Juneteenth. And so definitely make sure to check it out on Twitter. We'll have all of that information of how to get there in the show notes. But other than that, thank you so much, all of you, for hopping on today and doing the interview. It was so much fun, and I'm so happy that you guys were able to share your stories and thoughts. Wow. That was awesome. Great job interviewing everyone, Kirsten, especially it was such a big group, but you handled it really well. Like, I actually was thinking at the beginning is so many people. I'm not going to get to hear everyone, but I, I did feel like I got to hear everyone by the end. Yeah, I was stressing that actually because I was expecting like four people or so and I was like, this is going to be big. And then when there were seven, I was like, oh man, this is really big. This is a big group. Now it's a party. (laughs) (laughs) I echo Sabrina. You did a really great job. You're a natural host. You have a skill in that area that I don't think the rest of us have as obviously. I agree. Like you make people feel comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Aw. Thanks, guys. I absolutely loved interviewing everyone. Ashley and Caprice are my friends. And, you know, I've seen the other leadership of Black and Astro at NSBP and other things like that. So it was just really fun to sit down with everyone. For those unfamiliar, what's NSBP? The National Society of Black Physicists. And there's a conference that's held every year in the U.S., And basically, it's just a great conference. It's like literally just a ton of black people (laughs) and, you know, other people as well. But it's just like a really great conference. I have never been to a conference that feels quite like that. And if any of you are students, they will pay for you to attend. So your advisor just has to pay for like, the registration fee and for any student doesn't matter if you're graduate undergrad nsbp works with the heisen simons foundation and other sponsors as well but they use this to help fund students so that you know we can connect with other black folks once again huge thank you to the black and astro team for interviewing with me i can't express how phenomenal and how great it was to chat with them Yeah, thank you everyone who participated in the interview. I also wanted to say, I didn't know that there were those Black and Astro travel grants, which we should also link in the show notes as well, because that's really exciting. And I mean, getting travel funding and even just some sort of financial award sounded like it could be really powerful given everything said in the interview. So we will definitely link some of those in the show notes. Yeah, the Black and Astro team 
definitely does what they say that they do. They get money and they pay people. Like that's one of the huge things that got brought up in the interview as well. But for example, I'm going to be a judge for the undergrad competition during Black and Space Week. And I'm getting paid for it. Wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. Isn't that insane? I mean, it's not insane. It should be normal, but (laughs) it's awesome. I feel like that was one of the themes in the interview as well that stood out to me is just how important finances are. And I think that's something in academia that is just completely swept under the rug. A lot of people in academia tend to come from wealthier families. Like, I think that's just known. And then you lack the perspective of coming from a family that doesn't have a lot of financial resources. And it's just a completely different experience. So I think what Black and Astro is doing with these travel grants and micro funds, I guess, kind of. One of the connections I made from the interview, and Sabrina, I agree with your takeaway here, is actions speak louder than words. And universities continue to use the right words but may not be taking enough of the right actions. And so Black and Astro is is paving the way here. You want us to do work beyond what we're, you know, officially supposed to do. And if you want to pay us for it, then it makes it more likely that we'll do it and do it well. It's a bit of a problem when outreach is necessary to get a job, but yet something that we don't get paid for. We can't get paid for. So we don't get paid enough to like do all these extraneous activities with all of our free time. Yeah, that's a big one. Doing outreach helps you get jobs potentially. You might not be able to do outreach if you have to have a second job in grad school to support your family or other people. And actually in Will sent us a nice paper by Audrey Bowden and Cullen Bui. And they were saying one of their suggestions for how to support the black community in astronomy was actually not waiting to raise money for new initiatives, but actually sort of carving out funding from current budgets, which I think was another really interesting point that I think a lot of people are like waiting around for money when actually you have a bunch of money and a lot of institutions have so much money should actually be carving out more money from their budgets rather than just trying to raise money elsewhere. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting because sometimes I wonder where all of the money goes as well. Like, I feel like our department's pretty good about using money for outreach and certain things like that. They're also a sponsor of Black and Astro as well, or at least a couple of faculty members are. But I think that the culture behind the money and payments, like you were saying, Will, is really kind of just behind. It's really weird. But I think a lot of the time, people do assume that everyone does come from the same sort of background. I just remember talking to someone that was HR. I'm not going to say at what institution. But they were talking to me and saying, yeah, you work 20 hours a week and you're making like hourly the same amount that I do. And I'm like, Hold on a second. I didn't work 20 hours a week. Yeah, just world? so you know. That's part time. <laughs> Who are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what do you mean I'm working part time? And I know a whole bunch of people have like family that they're supporting and stuff or family that can't support them. Like an undergrad, I paid for it myself. Like the whole bless my family, my mom. I love her. But she didn't have the money and she would if she could, but she couldn't. So I had to put myself through 
undergrad as well. And I think it's just bananas to think that everyone comes from a similar background, especially in terms of money. I feel like, you know, if you're broke, you're broke. That's a similar experience. But then if you start tacking on other identities, it just gets more difficult. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but this connects really nicely to something that came up. I think Ashley raised this and others chimed in in the interview that there's so much of a desire in the black community to recognize that everyone has different paths and identities and needs, and it's intersectional. So, you know, you could be black and disabled. You could be black and have, you know, family to care for, and you could be anything and anything. But it's this notion that we're all coming in from different walks of life, different financial situations, different family, different personal abilities, different mental health. And instead of assuming that everyone can follow the program the same way, to build space for people to do it their way requires understanding. And when we don't have representation, we don't get to see that. The professors don't see that actually the grad population is really different. Another thought on this is this relates to a piece I read called Does Academia Actually Want Black Professors? And this was written by Janice Gassim Asare. And I referenced this earlier in my comment about actions speak louder than words. And that's, you know, kind of a, the gist of what she's arguing. But I think part of her argument is that higher education is surprisingly conservative. And it's surprising because it's filled with liberally minded people. And so there's an irony there, which is that people in the institution want it to change, know how it should change, but yet it moves incredibly slowly. And like you don't get a new professor till someone retires or dies, which is dark. And yet, you know, admin continues to grow. Like there's more endowment than ever. It's a bit of an odd system where you say like the financials are not catching up. The idea of paying people for outreach is just taking so long to catch on. It's a conservative institution, and it moves really, really slowly. And also, by being conservative, there's a history. I mean, the only people that went to higher education hundreds of years ago were the wealthy. I mean, the wealthy, land-owning white men. Those are the only people who could ever do higher education. And there is a legacy of that that comes all the way through to the present day, and this belief that you know, studying higher education is so important that you'll sacrifice everything for it. Bullshit. I don't want to do that. And a lot of other people can't do that. I think it's interesting, like the motivations for people to want to do academia just in general. I kind of stumbled into this, but mostly because I wanted financial stability. And I think that this isn't, I guess, the best route that I could have gone. But when you're coming from like working jobs that give you like $10,000 a year, mostly working full time, you know, I feel like rad student pay is still like financial stability. But my motivation for like staying and wanting to do academia, yeah, I really love it. But it's also, I want financial stability. And I could see how when we talk about other people, for example, my husband, he wants to do science and that's just what he wants to do. And it had nothing tied to any sort of financial stability. But even Ashley within the interview mentions like black people leaving academia and there has to be some sort of aspect, not just the community itself when you're thinking about the experiences of black people, but the fact that 
you don't have to be treated this way and you can leave and go to industry, but also get paid more and have more financial stability for probably similar amounts of work. I don't know. I haven't worked a data scientist job before, but I imagine you probably have similar amounts of work, which is a lot, right? Yeah. You do make a lot more money from the get-go. Someone said that actually leaving is a success. I thought that was the most refreshing take ever because I felt like there's so much stigma around leaving academia and on some level it should be celebrated. There was a Medium article written by Lauren Chambers, which is entitled A Breakup Letter with Astronomy from a Young Black Woman. And it was actually such a celebration of an article to be leaving She got her undergrad degree from Yale, magna cum laude. She won departmental prizes in both astronomy and African-American studies. But she was saying that even though there's all these people in astronomy saying that they want to be allies and being applauded for all their equity, diversity, and inclusion efforts, she was saying it's all the apples. It's not just a case of a few bad apples that are really making the environment in astronomy bad. And those same people that are being applauded for their efforts are going back and, you know, lying to their grad students or just abandoning them, doing things that actually are completely out of line with what they stand for or what they say they stand for. And I think that was an amazing article. We'll also link that one. And it was an article that helped work towards breaking the stigma around leaving astronomy. And the reasons that she gave were just wonderful. And made me be like, I want to leave too. You're so right. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to, but like climate change, you know, it's just world poverty. There's so many other issues and we're like thinking about things hundreds of light years away. She had a quote similar to that. I agree with the sentiment that leaving academia should stop being you failed and start being I'm taking my potential elsewhere, somewhere that will properly appreciate me. However, I disagree with her take on some of the other issues in this article. I don't agree that we shouldn't be studying astronomy when there are environmental and social causes we could be doing. I don't think it's either or. I think that a successful person with a successful career can have an opportunity to change the world to to improve people's lives in other ways. I also think that the great thinkers and achievers in human history have only been able to do that work at times of prosperity. And, you know, the great art is created in times when people have the freedom to create great art. So the fact that we don't have to do these other things, the fact that we can study astronomy gives us the right to, in in my perspective. But I totally understand that there is a view that I can't see here, personal experience that I don't have. And so that shapes Lauren's experience. And I Give her all the respect in the world for making a very difficult decision and taking her potential elsewhere. Go do it. I may do the same thing. But I also am reminded of a conference I attended virtually a couple of years ago that talked about leaving academia and said more people are getting non-academic careers in astronomy than academic careers. It's actually the academic career that is your plan B. Your plan A is a non-academic career. It's like that was a huge change in my perspective. It was like, if I start thinking about that way, the idea of leaving no longer becomes this like scary cliff in my mind. It's just another decision. And it may be a tough one still, but just it removes all of the intensity from it. Yeah, I think that 
there's value in seeing both sides. Yeah, there's 100%. We need to be concerned about these things like poverty as well as like, you know, things like fast fashion and child labor and all sorts of things that are connected with that. But I think having that perspective, I agree, Sabrina, allows you to really be like, wow, I'm really fortunate to be able to do science. And that's really a great thing, even if it's not directly related to, you know, something that is tangible. I think that science is kind of interesting where it sits in this space where even though we might not be able to help people currently with whatever we're doing, a lot of the time, whatever we discover or whatever advancements that we make in instrumentation or anything like that ends up trickling over to the, and usually it's probably going to be long after we die, will trickle over into like either the private sector where it'll end up being helpful to more people. And you can think about things like Einstein, general relativity, GPS. We know where we're going now. But he had no idea that that was going to be some sort of thing that came from, you know, him just saying, if we keep like constant, what happens? I agree with you completely. But I think the study of science and astronomy in particular is more important than just its unexpected impacts in society. The inspiration we all experienced as children by studying, by learning about the cosmos, by learning about so many fields of science, right? I'm sure we were all scientists. We were probably inspired by biology and chemistry and history of science as much as we were by physics and astronomy. I certainly was, but it's astronomy that captured my heart physics too when I was younger, but there's that, that push, you know, how many children out there dream of the cosmos, dream of being an astronaut, of studying great and far and intense things. And we as humans have such an incredible capacity for wonder and awe. We should nourish that. And science is the absolute best vehicle for it. So I wanted to bring up one last topic before we wrap up our discussion I thought that the idea of being on, and I wanted to hear your thoughts about this, where Keyshawn was talking about having to be on, like coming from hanging out with family, going back to the office, not wanting to go in. And I've experienced something similar, but I wanted to see what your experiences on this were as people that don't identify as Black. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is called code switching. Because there's this article that I read a couple years back, which was in the Harvard Business Review, and it was like called The Costs of Code Switching. We'll also link this in the show notes. It's by Courtney McClooney, Katharina Robatham, Serenity Lee, Richard Smith, and Miles Durkee. Sorry, a lot of authors. But it's a really amazing article, and it shows how like this code switching just literally leads to burnout, super tiring, can cause underperformance. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of research on this. The academic environment sort of cultivates this like very sterile, not community-based feel. And in a way, I think we should stop all of this. Like you shouldn't have to feel like you have to code switch because I think it could actually help build a better, more welcoming academic community 
people shouldn't have to feel like they change the way they talk. And and this obviously goes along with just increasing diversity in the department and feeling like you belong and lots of things. This was one of the things that I was most surprised to hear from the interview because I've never personally experienced this. I mean, I code switch too because I go from a professional to an informal setting to a podcast setting all the time, but it doesn't make me feel burnt out. I don't ever feel like, as Keyshawn said, that I'm not up for talking to this group. I'm always up to talk to a group. I've, As a white man, I don't feel uncomfortable in pretty much any group. So I'm also pretty confident. So I just have privilege and I have privilege that I need to recognize and, and listening to this and hearing the perspective of Keyshawn and others helps me see that and recognize and maybe I'll notice next time that someone doesn't feel as comfortable in a group and work to either include that person or maybe just let them not have to be on. I don't know exactly how to do that, but I guess awareness is a good place to start. So I was on the AIP team up initiative basically to increase African-American undergraduate students. It was really interesting. One of the things that they brought up was counter spaces and having those for black people, right? And what counter spaces are is basically like a place where you can go to be off. It's really helpful if it's a group of the same type of people. So if it's a group of black people, but oftentimes within these departments, you might have one or two black people. Counter spaces can also be with just someone that you really trust and it could be a friend, like it could be another grad student or someone that you're just like, I can talk about things like open. And so maybe being a counter space for someone else is one of the best ways that you can help with this because if you make someone feel comfortable, like they can just share and then that can be really impactful. Luckily enough, I've always had Caprice in my department and now we have another black student. Her name is Sinclair Jones. Shout out to her. She's so awesome. But Caprice has been like basically my counter space in the department. And I hope that I am hers as well. But I think that that's really important. So I think that that's one way that we can help. I guess that kind of wraps up the discussion, you guys. Thanks for listening to the interview and like chatting with me. I absolutely love the Black and Astro team and the organization and their mission. I think that everything that they're doing is great. So with that, that concludes episode 76 of Astro Soundbites Beyond Black and Astro 2023. If you want to read any of the articles that we talked about today or find out about Black and Astro, check out the links in the show notes. Also, check out Black and Space Week on Twitter. We'll have links to that as well. You don't have to be back to listen or attend all of the wonderful panels that will be happening, so definitely check that out to support. And if you want to hear more of our wonderful episodes, check them all out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to keep your ears to the cosmos. astronomy and all of this you know there's just a lot of bad what's that what's that word that people use juju (laughs) (laughs) bad juju (laughs) you know what word i'm talking about